Good morning. Survivors from camp. <laughs> Please take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter chapter 1, or if you would like, you can uh, read it with me <clears throat> from this uh, projection of it. Only a couple of phrases there begin in verse uh, 2 through 13, 4 through 9 here. Hmm. Peter is writing to those that are in Christ, those that are saved, those that he has ministered to and have been grounded by him. He's aware that uh, his days are numbered, and what he's writing here in the second uh, letter of his are the words that are important in his mind to those who uh, he's leaving there with the work to be done. God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. He's talking about who they are in Christ. They have been born again and made partakers of the divine nature. And now for this very reason also, the fact that you're in Christ and you're still here and there's work to be done. Applying all diligence in your faith Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, the evidence that you are mature and have achieved the goal of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, that you have self-denying love for others. If these qualities, these seven qualities, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these qualities is either blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. <clears throat> this passage teaches a number of very important truths about living as a Christian, and I'm going to note very briefly and you'll see why in a little bit, five of them. So follow me quickly, and I'm not uh, having overhead with them at this point, so you might uh, write them down, although I'll be referring to them uh, in a little bit. Number one, it is possible to be a Christian, saved from the penalty of sin, justified by Christ's death, and yet be useless in the work of the age. Notice the if in verse 8 there. If these qualities, if these seven qualities are yours and they are increasing, they render you neither useless in the work that is to be done nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith secures your salvation, trusting in relying upon the finished work of Christ. But unless uh, to this is progressively added virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and then self-denying love, a life that considers others more important than itself. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who considered others more important than himself. It's a great balance here. These two words, others and love, uh, ought to be thought of together because we're not talking about brotherly kindness or affection when we talk about agape love. He mentions that. You're to be kind and gentle, lowly, humble, 
You're to have affection for other people, but you're to give your life for others. Unless a man denies himself and takes up his cross and follows me, he cannot be my disciple. He's not going to be a reflection of who I am. He's not going to be useful in demonstrating the opposite of what the world does, which is live for themselves. If life is all about you, even though you're saved, you're useless in the consuming work that is to be done. You can't be the light of Christ shining in the darkness. You cannot be used in the principal work that is left to be done. This possibility of being useless to our Lord is a shocking reality and the new normal for many in our compromised church in the United States, more so than it has ever been, I think, since its founding. Uselessness. Note, secondly, here that a Christian's usefulness varies as they grow from immaturity to maturity. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the knowledge that you have about what it is required to get to heaven. Usefulness and fruitfulness in influencing others for Christ is the goal, but it's a lifelong process of transformation that is carried about by the Holy Spirit and as we grow in our relationship with him. Uh, walk by means of the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be led of the Spirit. We are to recognize that the Christian life is a relationship, and God is at work in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure, but he's transforming us into more and more and more and more usefulness. And as we learn the word, and as we apply the word to our lives, as we're yielded to the Holy Spirit, as we have uh, more perseverance and uh, self-control because we've been put into the tests of life and the Holy Spirit has proven that we can have all joy when you encounter various trials, brethren, knowing this, having the hope that we talked about at camp, because if we don't have the hope that is to come, we're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z effectively in this life, and on and on it goes. It's a transforming process that goes beyond knowing these things, but also living by them in the power of the Spirit having self-control and perseverance in them, having brotherly kindness, and then self-denying love, being willing to say, okay, Lord, here's my life. If you want me to, I'll go to Trinity, but boy, what a cost. If you want me to be a friend of these people, oh my goodness. But I'll do it. I'll do it if you want me to give my life to them, just as you gave your life to me. Usefulness varies depending upon the extent to which we're mature in Christ. Paul said to the Corinthians, remember, I couldn't write to you and speak to you as men, but as babes in Christ. You're still fleshly. You're not much use at all. You're still influenced by the world. Uh, let's go to work here. If these qualities are yours. Now, <clears throat> Number three, I want you to notice that usefulness is based on growing in these seven areas. And I've, been, I've spoken of them, but these seven things are amplified in the New Testament. The teaching epistles talk about what these are, how they're to be uh, attained, um, and uh, clarify these things very much for us uh, in the uh, teaching epistles. If these are yours, they render you neither useless. These qualities, these things... 
are the ones that are emphasized here that we are to have in our life. You can't stop at knowledge and be useful. You can't sit at seminary and learn everything and all about all the facts. You're going to have to go out into the world and be an example and be able to say, imitate me, not only in what I know, but in what I do and in my attitudes and how I go about living my life, which is dominated by the fact that I'm going to be doing what God has asked me to do in denial of everything that I would choose to do myself without that. Number four, <clears throat> I want you to note that these uh, seven qualities are to be pursued with diligence. <clears throat> Applying all diligence. In your face, supply moral excellence. The lifelong perseverance in the life, in the face of life's great enemies is what is being talked about here. The uh, pursuit of godliness and usefulness, these qualities, is the priority of the Christian life. This is what is to be pursued with uh, diligence, applying all diligence. Applying some diligence, it doesn't say that. <clears throat> it says applying all diligence. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Remember that passage? Let's not grow weary in well-doing, as some do, and lose heart. They quit. They come to a place in the Christian life after sitting under good teaching and learning and growing and figuring out what a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian, being involved with other people. This is much better than living in the world with people that are just trying to get everything I've got. And it's just been really great. And then comes the first test, and then the second test, and then the bigger test. And as the path gets very steep, they say, well, I, I, this is as far as I'm going to go. I mean, the cost of going down this road, the cost of being a Christian is much more than I thought it was going to be. And uh, I'm going to be one, but this is it. You know what it would cost me to stand up for Christ at, at my work? You know what it would cost me if I did so in my family now? I'd probably lose my family. You know what it would cost? Oh, my Here's the line. I'm not I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. Peter says pursuing all diligence, lifelong perseverance, lifelong commitment, lifelong dying to myself and saying, OK, here I am, Lord. Here's what I've got now. Here's what I do now. And it's all yours. Take it away if you want. Lifelong being there. Where was Peter at this point? Not very far from being crucified upside down. Finish the course, fulfill your ministry, fight the good fight, keep the faith. Fifthly, and finally here, let's note in verse 9, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten what God has done for him in his calling. He or she is useless, no faith, no knowledge, no self-control, no perseverance, no love of others, just a life lived like the world. It's all about him or her. Too many of us know Christians. The question is, are they really going to be there because there's not a lot of evidence now? Some of them will be there. O ye of little faith, O ye of little knowledge, O ye of little self-control, O ye of little perseverance, 
O ye who live life like the world. You have forgotten that God became a man for you. You have forgotten that we are here for the remaining work of saving others from the wrath that is to come. There's nothing else that's a greater priority than that. You have forgotten that we shall soon stand before God at the Bema and give an account for what has been done. So applying all diligence so as to be not useless but fruitful, add to your faith moral excellence and to your moral excellence knowledge and to your knowledge self-control and to your self-control perseverance and all of these things and to your perseverance brotherly kindness and to your brotherly kindness add self-denying love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing They render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of God. Thank you, Peter, for reminding us of these things. The elders of our church are encouraging us to go through a study of these seven qualities this year. That's why I did that introduction. They want us to know and be growing in these principles of living life as a disciple of Christ. They've uh, just printed off, as Pastor Will showed you, this uh, 80-page booklet of uh, the first eight of what uh, should be 24 of the New Testament biblical principles that you find mostly in the second half of the teaching epistles. The first half says, this is what God has done for us in Christ, and then you come to, therefore, And the rest of it is these seven qualities that are stated in various ways. Therefore, do this. Therefore, do this. Therefore, do this. And if these qualities are yours and increasing, etc. They want us to take them and examine them and then get involved together in learning them. Now, remember what we read here. Uh, The folks that we're writing to is uh, you... you, uh, um, It's not here, is it? It's in the other part. He's talking to people that are already well-grounded. He's talking to people that are already solid in the truth, that have been taught, and they're standing there. They uh, want us to uh, learn these things or review them for virtually everybody here. No surprises in what you're going to find, because it's just the Bible and the Bible and the Bible and the Bible and the teaching. That's all it is. It's not a commentary by somebody's opinion about something. This is a summary of what the... Scriptures teach in a, in a principle form and putting them together. And then it goes to a self-evaluation. So the big difference between what we've had in the past for some time is there's an emphasis on application. It's a self-evaluation. And then depending upon your maturity, um, the second session dealing with those passages of Scripture and that particular principle have to do with picking a project that you can do during the week half an hour or so, some of them could be longer. Some of them have taken me 10 or 12 years to get through because I didn't like them and I didn't want to. But uh, as you go through and say, oh, the Lord wanted me to do that. But uh, most of the uh, testimonies I have or the stories that I come have to do with going to do what God asked me to do and finding out that I couldn't do it in my own strength. I uh, faced watching his intervention, but these are the things that provide us with uh, testimonies about how the Lord works in our lives. But they want us to 
go through that. And then there's a, pr a project that, uh, depending upon your maturity, you can pick and come back together again. And then and the emphasis here is think about doing this uh, together. Think about doing this in, in a group, a smaller group, or Will thinks that we should do it in three or four. Why don't we do it in three or four hundred? Let's do it uh, if, we, if we could do that. But I, the emphasis here is to be able to talk about it, encourage one another, uh, share. And if you get into a group that's uh, got 30, there's two or three or four people are going to be able to uh, share what's going on. And so there's some value here. How many people did the Lord Jesus have as he was discipling them? Well, there were three primary ones that spent more time than the rest, Peter, James, and John. And then there were 12. He spent about three years with him together. And then there were about 120 who were closer there that last year or so. And then he had some crowds. So there's some uh, biblical uh, support for Pastor Will and what he's talking about there uh, in getting together as a smaller group. Now, these elders of ours are excited about this. They care for us. They have been appointed, as Pastor Will shared this morning, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, and they've been they are encouraging us. They've been doing this, some of them, for 40 years. And what an exceptional job. It's hard to find faithful men who are good examples to us, who give their lives there and have influenced, and the fruit is there. Now, Dylan and Jonathan have only been at this for 40 days, not 40 years. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, they carry the same commitment and example uh, as the ones who have... Uh, um, been here for uh, 40 years or so. Uh, they want us to be mature and useful as a church. So they're encouraging us to pick up these principles, study guides, review them. And they want you to ask the Lord how he wants you to be involved. What does he want you to do? Um, how would he direct you as to what you were to do? You can join one of the existing groups there are going to be some new groups starting. Uh, if you want to know what options, he, he mentioned that uh, the ones that are going to be initially coordinating this transition and this messy change, if you want to call it that, Steve and Susan DeGuy are going to be uh, helping with that and saying, okay, we think this is happening here and all of that. Be careful with Susan. She wants you to be involved in three or four of these study groups simultaneously. So just just be cautious there. She's really excited about seeing that you uh, jump in here. <clears throat> um, you can, but you are not encouraged to go through this alone. Uh, others need you. You need others. Uh, we are a church body. We're going to grow together, the whole body working together by that which every joint supplies. That's the passage that comes after pastors and teachers are given for the equipping of the saints. But it goes on to say they're just giving some directions are there, but the whole body working together by that which every joint supplies causes. And if somebody's missing who ought to be there, we're, we're imbalanced. Uh, so it's good to uh, think through this and say, all right, Lord, where would you like me to be uh, doing this? <clears throat> uh, real quickly, uh, the, w the way that these studies have been structured is based on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You know this. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for doctrine, teaching. So in the first part of these uh, booklets, there's four or five pages that summarize the 
biblical principle that you find in the teaching epistles. It's summarized, and half of what's there are the scriptures and uh, just relating them. So doctrine is there, but there are three other things that follow, and uh, they are also included in the booklet. Reproof is there. That's why the self-evaluation is there. Uh, when you face the Word of God, um, the Holy Spirit is to work, uh, maybe tapping you on the shoulder, maybe getting in front of you, maybe surrounding you with friends, however the Spirit would work, because he's very concerned that you grow to maturity, and he doesn't want to be grieved by your saying no, and he doesn't want to be quenched by you. He wants to be filling you and leading you and guiding you. But in other words, he uses the word. So when you get exposed to the doctrine, there is reproof that comes. And there's a self-evaluation in there that you can take asking the questions of, okay, uh, how would I evaluate myself? Don't need to share this with anyone else, but it is a good exercise to go through, and it's designed to be there because of reproof. After reproof comes correction. So let's say that I've been told to see to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. So you go to the scripture and say, what's bitterness and how can I go about dealing with it? How do I correct the fact that I am consumed with bitterness because you have no idea what's happened to me in past life? You have no idea the kinds of hurts that I've gone through and you want me to not be controlled by that and to conquer it with bitterness, the title of that teaching uh, unit is Conquering Bitterness Through Forgiveness. A major element that you have to have in life if you're going to be useful. How many people do you know who get hurt in life? How many people you know get struggle with what how they've been treated? How many Christians do you know that uh, are dominated by what's happened to them and they need to conquer that with Forgiving others just as Christ has forgiven you. That's not a hard thing to do. That's impossible. You can't do it in your own strength. They also need to learn how to walk by means of the Spirit who wants them to do that. So there's quite a number of these that are interrelated. But in any event, there's a project in there designed to say, all right, make a list of the people that have hurt you. Something like that. There's three or four you can choose from to do. So there's doctrine, reproof, correction. And then there's training in righteousness. So the idea of being together and talking with people about how am I doing or, you know, I struggled with bitterness for 20 years and this is what happened to me would be a very valuable person to be talking to about how to deal with this. So hopefully in the small groups, we'll have a ability to encourage one another and support one another as you go through this. Most all of my true growth in Christ has come through being a part of a small group for six, seven months. Uh, people get to know you, they invest their life in you, and then you learn how to do the same thing back to them. I was shocked when I was a new Christian when I went to a church about this size, and there were two or three guys there who said, hmm, this kid is dangerous, we got to do something. <laughs> so they became my friends, and they invested in me. They invested in me. I mean, they spent time with me. They called me up and did that, but they were their, their goal was to get together and study the Scripture, which we did, and to help me to grow. And uh, what a great influence that has. Go and make disciples, teaching them all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth age. So this idea of what we're to do as a church is to help one another grow in Christ and the others that God would send to us and be useful there. All right. Some of you should consider uh, initiating and leading. Not everybody is that, but um, Maybe when you come and ask the Lord what he would have you to do, he would say, I'd like you to team teach this with uh, your friend. Uh, uh, 
I'm picking a name here that's not here, uh, Felix, and uh, um, ask two or three of the folks you know uh, and uh, get started. Uh, rather than say, I wonder who's going to start one of these. Some of you are leaders. Some of you should do this and uh, open the door there for the Lord to use you. <clears throat> okay. Now, I would like you to notice with me in verse 12 um, at the bottom of this passage after we looked at it. But here in Second Peter, after Peter says this, he says this. <laughs> I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, what he's just said. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. I'm always ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them. What did he tell us? Well, let's be reminded of what uh, was there and I mentioned when I first started. It is possible to be saved and still be useless. Peter knows what he's talking about. The Lord spent three years teaching him the principles of life, and for most of that time, Peter was uh, learning about God and about God's plans and ways and will for his life, and he was uh, not very useful. He was a pain, caused trouble a lot of times. We have a record of some of those. That shall never happen to you, Lord. <laughs> no. Uh, we could think through most of the things that are talked about there with Peter, but it's possible to be saved and still be pretty useless in the work of the age. Jesus spent three years with those guys. And the work was not complete then. Second of all, you need to be increasing in these qualities all your life if they are there and are increasing. It renders you neither useless nor unfruitful. Remember the time well into his training as a disciple that he and the others were in the boat rowing and the Lord came across the Sea of Galilee there walking on the sea, Peter, impulsive soul that he was, he said, Lord, you command me to come out and I'll walk on the water with you. And he said, come. And Peter walked out on the water. And then he got his eyes off the Lord, got his eyes on the wind and the waves. He uh, forgot what the Lord had commanded. He forgot what the Lord Jesus Christ had said to do. And he began to, I guess, take matters into his own hands. But he, he forgot. Um, he was blind, forgetting what had happened. And he sank. He began to sank. And the Lord reached down and pulled him up. And he said, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Still little of faith. Don't believe what I said. You don't understand my authority. you got a ways to go. Peter kept on, and then you remember, and it was mentioned to us uh, last week, I think, his threefold denial. He was faced with the dying if he identified with Christ, and he wouldn't, he wasn't there yet. He would be, but he wasn't there. I don't know him. I am not his disciple. I, I, I have, I am not from there. The Lord uh, drew him up out of the water. Even though he was still weak, he was there. And after the threefold denial, what happened? 
Well, it's pretty clear to us when he called him up there to the sea where he'd been with him when he first met him. He said, hey, hey, Peter, you love me. It's interesting that the word he used is the word brotherly kindness or affection. I mean, uh, he said, uh, he said, no, he said, do you love me using agape? Peter's response was, well, you know, Lord, I don't love you like that in self-denial. You know that I have affection for you. Feed my sheep anyway. And they went through this three times. Peter admitting that he didn't have self-denying love for the Lord. He wasn't that mature yet, but the Lord didn't give up on him. You need to be increasing in these qualities. The Lord will never leave up, leave you or forsake you, but he would like you to grow on to maturity. You need to apply all diligence in growing in these areas. Peter was reminding them of these things. I'll uh, begin my 54th year of being a child of God next week. I have served alongside many who have done well for a season, but they've grown weary in the battle. As they moved steadily upward, they came to the place where they weren't willing to add to their perseverance, any more perseverance. And they would like Peter saying, okay, this is as far as I'm going to go. I didn't mind being in the American culture when I was, it was agreeing with Christianity and a lot of its elements, but it's really drifted down the stream. And I, 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 I would have to stand against the current. I would have to stand against everything that's going on. And uh, I wasn't, I, I'm going to drift. I'm going to drift with the culture. Peter's reminding them that you need to apply all diligence in growing in these qualities. And he also reminded them, and he's reminding us not to be blind or short-sighted about things. these things. If I don't set my mind on what Christ wants in him, I begin to leave it set upon myself. That's what Peter's concerned about. What's ever good for me? Life is, as humanists in America are saying to everyone, put God out. Put yourself at the center of all things. You make truth relative. But listen, it's all about you. Whatever fulfills you in life. Don't be blind or short-sighted and reject giving your life to Christ. It's what Peter is reminding us about. I want you to notice something else here in verse 13. He also said, I not only I consider it right as long as I'm alive and I'm around you to stir you up by way of reminder. Stir you up. I drove 30 minutes today to get to church. How would it go if I was giving a ride to Peter to church? Would he sit there in that seat and say, well, weather's pretty nice today. A lot of traffic. But what I know about Peter is, frankly, I doubt that he would be quiet. And I think what he would be talking to me about is where I was in this process of being useful to the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you doing, Tim? Are you willing to die today if the Lord asks you to die? I mean, listen to the conversation, but we certainly are going to be talking about the weather. What would uh, Peter say about our studying these qualities and these uh, biblical principles. Well, folks, uh, let me finish here by stirring you up a little bit. It's biblical. It's very biblical. Are you thinking about going through, well, are you thinking about not going through this 
study material or going through it by yourself without being part of a group. Well, folks, the only thing wrong with either one of those two is it's wrong. Don't you know the verse that talks about living for others? Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who considered others more important than yourself. Not going through this is what you want to do for yourself. The question is, what does God want you to do? And I think if you would spend some time with him, he would point out, well, I'd like you to invest your life in others, like I did for you. If you're thinking about going through this yourself without involving other people, That's not what the scripture encourages you to do. He's made you a member. He's placed you in the body just as he wishes. And he wants you to employ your gifts for the other members of the body. He didn't give them for you. Furthermore, have you read the letter to the Hebrews, folks? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they give watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. What are your elders encouraging you to do here? Well, what are you going to do? How about a commitment? Oh, you're going to go home and pray about it. Oh, I'm speaking as Peter here. It's not... Not me. I'm talking as if I think Peter would talk, stirring you up. I'm sorry, but what is there to pray about? I mean, the word is pretty clear here that you need to grow in these things. And the leaders of your church are encouraging you to participate in this in some form. Oh, you're going to pray and ask the Lord what he would have you to do with it. Okay, well, let me suggest you do this. Put your life... And all you have at the palm of your hand when you go to talk with him and say, Lord, here I am. You can have me and do whatever you want with me. And then uh, listen. And spend as much time with him as you want. Oh, you might go get some counsel from your elders. Something else I might remind you of is uh, we're all going to stand at the Bema pretty soon. And what happens at the Bema, you know what happens. All the things we've done as Christians are going to be, well, if they don't count for eternity, whatever you're thinking about doing, making a couple of million, going off and having a great vacation, whatever, if they don't count for eternity, there would hay stubble and they're going to be burned up. And then the rewards will be given out with what's left. When you stand before the Lord, what are you going to say about what you're doing in life and what your goals are and what you're hoping to do? What are your goals for this fall? What are your priorities? Now, uh, let me ask you a final thing. Are you... uh, a little lukewarm about this whole thing.
Do you know anything about the Christians in Laodicea? Well, you get my point. Let's pray. Father, we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand. We didn't choose you. You chose us and you ordained that we should go forth and bear fruit and that it should remain. Lord, um, regarding our participation in these study groups here this fall, uh, you've already got an opinion about that for us. Would you... Uh, Guide us in the way which we should go individually, as couples, as families, as members of this church, and counsel us as you promise with your eye upon us. May you make it clear uh, if we're to be involved in this at all, and where, and to what extent, and what we're to do. We uh, pray for your clear guidance, and then, Lord, we pray that you might uh, see and hear and Bless our efforts here to grow and be more useful as a church, as individuals, as families. And we pray that we might be entering a season of great uh, fruitfulness, of uh, blessing, of uh, seeing a revival in hearts, not our own just, but many others who uh, we can influence for you. May you help us come to the place of saying, be imitators of me. Be imitators of us as a church, as we are our Lord. And may you find us useful. And we thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.